Uh, The Bible reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, which can be found on page 914 in the Church Bibles, uh, in your leaflet or on the screen. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will will be made righteous. The law was brought in, in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Um, uh, for those of you who perhaps don't know me, my name's Simon. I'm, um, I used to be on the staff team here at Trinity Hills, um, currently a member with my family at, at nine o'clock. Um, and Cameron has been very kind in, in letting me try and unpack this somewhat complex passage. Now, some choices in life are really pretty meaningless and, and pretty simple, really, aren't they? Coca-Cola or Pepsi? Beatles or the Stones? Crows or the Port? Now, other choices we have are more important and they have a bigger impact on our lives. And in recent months, weeks and days, political choice has been in the news, hasn't it? In the UK, the choice has been to remain or leave the European Union. In the US, we've been hearing about the decision they've got later this year between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Now, here in Australia, there are more candidates and and perhaps more choice, but essentially... The choice has been yesterday between Malcolm Turnbull or Bill Shorten. Now, even if you didn't vote for Malcolm or Bill, I I put here delete as applicable, but I I, I don't know. 
As of, as of the first service, I, I don't think any clear outcome has come. Does anyone know anything differently? Still, still hung. Okay. Despite who wins, though, if, even if you didn't vote for that person or his party, it's that decision, that outcome is still going to have a big impact on your life. Or it, or it could have a big impact on your life. And today's passage essentially compares and contrasts and offers a choice between two people, Jesus and Adam. And this choice has a huge impact on all people and at all ages. And as I mentioned, it's, it's a complex passage. Just reading it through in English, you might have been trying to work out what's Paul trying to say, where's Where's the flow of his argument? In the Greek, it's apparently quite a complex um, passage as well, and there's all sorts of debate uh, about it. I'm not going to go into all those details. But we want to try and learn about why is Paul comparing and contrasting these two figures? And we want to think about what are the implications for our lives? He begins this comparison in verse 12. And Paul's using a kind of rhetorical device, a a kind of technique for saying, compare this one to this. And the the device is saying, just as so-and-so, so also this. Have a look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, He begins his contrast, but it kind of cuts off there. Did you notice, um, and I think the printout has got it, in your Bible there's a hyphen. That's an important hyphen, because it's showing how Paul's beginning this, this big idea, but he gets diverted. He actually completes his comparison and picks up his train of thought again in verse 18. Go Go down to verse 18. Consequently, he writes, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Now, it's slightly changed, his wording, because of what's come between, but essentially, Paul's main point is this, one for many. All people are condemned as sinners because of one transgression by one man, which is Adam. So many are saved by one righteous act by one man, Jesus Christ. In fact, what Paul is actually doing is repackaging and representing much of what he's already spoken of in the letter. He's kind of presenting it in a new way. He's talked about the sinfulness of humanity without God, the power of sin, God's judgment and the penalty for sin, which is death. These are all things that have already been mentioned. And these are contrasted again against things he's already brought up. The gracious saving work of God through Christ and his death dealing with that problem of sin. He's saying we're all sinful but we can all be saved by grace. 
In chapter 5, here he's saying we're either dead in Adam or alive in Christ. As I mentioned, just after verse, verse 12, he, he gets, Paul gets interrupted. His, his train of thought gets derailed. Now, for those of you who've heard other of the sermons um, on this first part of Romans, you'd know that Paul spends much of his time answering imaginary questions that people might be challenging him with. Um, from a moral upstanding non-believer who says, well, I'm a good person. He's answered questions from Jewish Christians and, and also the non-Jewish Christians. So Paul then, he has now two, there's two different asides. And this first one comes in verse 13. To be sure, Paul writes, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So here, Paul is, is answering the imagined interruption. But how can there be sin before the law was given? Law, of course, is referring to Ten Commandments and the, um, all the laws around that, which we find in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. To answer this, Paul gives an explanation of the, the difference, really, between sin and transgression. Now, this is quite complicated, but I hope I can uh, make it clear. The one man Paul is talking about, of course, is Adam. Now, he transgressed, he broke a specific command of God, a specific law of God, not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from that point, sin has entered the world and death following sin. But as well as that transgression, as well as that breaking of the law, in effect, just before that, Adam is putting himself, his own desires, his own wisdom, his own will above God. He's saying, I know better than God, so I'm going to do this. He's, he's dethroned God's rightful position in his life. Don Carson, the theologian, says that he's de-godded God. And then from Adam to Moses, even though no law has been given for people to break, there's, there's no law for people to transgress, people are still sinful. They're still dead in their sins. The death that Paul is talking about is not only physical death, but spiritual death. That separation from God that we see from the time Adam and Eve sin and they're placed out of the garden. So it's in this way that those who lived in the period between Adam and Moses, they're not condemned as transgressors, as Paul, Paul writes in Romans. Their, their, their sins are not counted against them, or their, their sinful actions are not counted against them. But they are still, as Paul puts it elsewhere, 
They're still dead in their sins. They're separated from God. Paul then, at the end of verse 14, seems to be getting back to his main point of saying how Adam and Jesus are similar. He points to the fact that Adam is a pattern or a type of the one to come. And that, the word pattern, is the word for a stamp or a, um, an impression. Um, and Paul is coming back to his main point that, yes, Adam's one act had a big effect on people in the same way that Jesus' act had a huge effect on humanity. However, once again, it seems like Paul gets, uh, his train of thought gets derailed. He, go, he then goes on to, before he says how they're similar, he highlights the differences between Adam and Jesus. Have a look from verse 5. From verse 5? From verse 15, beg your pardon. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. Judgment, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now it seems that there's three things there that Paul is highlighting. The first one in verse 15 is a difference between a penalty and a gift. Many die through the trespass of Adam, but God's grace overflows in a gracious gift of the one man, Jesus Christ. Second difference in verse 16 is the difference between condemnation and justification. Quite rightly, condemnation follows one follow sin. Sin needs to be punished. And yet, the gracious gift of justification that is available in Christ follows many trespasses. And the third difference in verse 17 is a reign of death versus a reign, not of life, which you might expect, but the the reign of those who have accepted God's grace. They will reign. So we can see that being in Adam is serious. But did you sense the overflowing, abundant power and life that is available in Christ? Now, you may be thinking, perhaps, so what? You know, with politics, yeah, there may be some uh, changes when, when Malcolm Turnbull or Bill Shorten becomes Prime Minister. But on the whole, you know, life goes on and things perhaps don't change greatly. Looking at this passage, perhaps you're thinking, well, how can the effect of Adam's sin, his transgression... How can that apply to me? 
you know, you never chose him to be a representative of us. Why, why should what he does affect me? Or, on the other hand, perhaps you're thinking, well, okay, yep, I can see Jesus' death paid, paid a price, brought justification, but what effect does that have on me now? That happened years ago. Well, let's answer that first question first. In today's individualistic world, we, that, that idea of communal responsibility um, and a, a connection between one person and another perhaps isn't so familiar as it would have been in Paul's day. But it's not completely foreign. In, in sports teams, for example, one captain will make a decision that affects his whole team and perhaps the fans and perhaps the whole nation. When, we, when our team wins, we say, yeah, we won, even though we probably had absolutely nothing to do with it. You know, at the very least, we might have been shouting on the sidelines. But we have, we have that feeling of connection between something, between us and something bigger than us. And families as well is perhaps something where there, there is a connection that we're familiar with. Um, this week, one of our children was, we were at a friend's house one of our kids got hold of a garage door remote and started... To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Next day, we learnt that that particular child had fused or burnt out that garage door motor. Um, and so Alexa and I had nothing to do with that. Yet, as parents, we take on that responsibility of what happened. Um, I know we, we're very grateful for the generous, gracious response of our friends... I know, perhaps the bill's in the post, I don't know. Um, you know, Paul, in some respects, has had this question, or in, in the first four chapters of Romans, he's had this question thrown at him. He, he's asked, you know, is God unjust in bringing his wrath upon us? You know, why do we get punished for what Adam has done? Well, Paul has already stated as well that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We don't have any excuse. And again, here in, chapter, in verse 12, he said, death came to all because all sin. Not only do we transgress God's commands, we break his law, but all of us, however hard we try, place ourselves above God. All of us have de-godded God. Perhaps you might argue, I don't put myself before God. Well, have a think. You're looking back at your graduation photo or your school yearbook. Whose is the first photo you look for? Or where do you look? You look for yourself. Or perhaps you've had an argument with someone. I'm sure none of you do this, but you know, maybe with your spouse or a colleague or a sibling... And, and you go away and you think what you could have said, what you should have said. If only I'd thought this, I would, have, I, would, I would have said this, I would have won the argument. You know, when you play that over, argument over in your mind, who wins? You know, I've lost many arguments in my time, but I've never lost a rerun. <laughs> but looking beyond ourselves, okay, 
Let's look at our world. Suicide bombers gunning down and blowing up. ISIS beheading and mutilating. Different tribes hacking each other with machetes in Rwanda. Unscrupulous business, businesses exploiting people and the world's resources. Sexuality and relationships warped and abused. We've had 200 years of the idea of humanism, the, the thought that humanity can make the world a better place through education and phil- philanthropy, yeah, being good things for each other, <laughs> with, without God's. And yet, where has, it got, where has it got us? And it's not that we follow Adam's example, that we think Adam's sin, so we do the same. Because that suggests that if we really tried hard through our own efforts, we could overcome that. The truth is, and what this passage is telling us, telling us is that we inherit Adam's sinful nature. It's part of who we are. I'm sure those of us who are parents will know we don't have to teach our kids to do wrong. Now, sin, I know, is an awkward topic, especially in today's society, but it is important. It's not just a relative matter. It's not just a mistake. It's a personal affront to the God who has created us. The other reason it's important is until we realize the all-encompassing seriousness of sin, we won't fully understand the greatness of what Christ has done for us. Now, the second question, the second so what? If we, okay, we have some belief that what Christ has done is important for us. But so what now? You see, the trouble with being a sinner and being told that God has justified us by grace alone is often that it's so hard to believe. After all, my sin stares me in the face every day. I see the circumstances of other people's sin in the world. We live in the valley of the shadow of death as the 23rd Psalm so poetically puts it. By our natures, we can understand a religion based on works because this says to us that we must try harder or there's something we can do to escape judgment. We want to know how to get over that line. But a religion that declares that we have been instantaneously been vindicated before God by grace, by what someone else has done, Even knowing that truth, it's hard to feel confident that it is true. And maybe when this is the case, we perhaps can begin to behave as people who've got something to prove. We try and work harder. Or maybe we feel despair that we haven't done enough. Or we'll look down on those who have made less progress than us. Before we can humbly rest in grace, we need to know that grace is strong enough to make us safe and change us. In this passage, particularly the verses 15 to 17, we see Paul paint an amazing picture 
of the extravagance and abundance of God's grace and what has been done for us. Did you notice the two how much more of verses 15 and 17? Sin sin has power and death reigns, but God's grace gift is even more powerful. Where Adam was disobedient, Christ was obedient. Adam's sin brings condemnation. Christ's righteousness brings justification, despite many sins. In Adam, death reigns. But those who accept God's gift in Christ, we will reign. Now, in Christ, God is not just righting Adam's wrong. He's not, he's, he's not just making that right. But he's not just making our wrongs right, just returning us back to where we were. In Christ, God is creating a new humanity, one for many, who will reign eternally with him. It's a picture of abundance, overflowing grace, that is so much more than we could hope or imagine. Um, And this week, as I've been preparing this sermon, I've been, I don't know, particularly aware of my own sin, my own weaknesses, my own frailty, just in the struggles of a normal life. Um, I've seen and despaired at the pain and disruption of sin in this world. And yet, again and again, as I've read this passage and read about it, I've been reminded of and held on to and been encouraged by the fact that it's not about me. I am in Christ, not in Adam. Although its old habits do show up more than I I would like, my Adam humanity is gone. I'm a new creation in Christ. In Galatians 2, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I, and Paul's, his, his I, his Adam I, no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Peace with God is, not, is, is objective, not subjective. It's a change of state rather than a variable feeling. It doesn't matter whether I feel close to God or far from God. If I'm in Christ, I've been given peace with God, brought near to him, not by anything I have done or could do, but entirely by what Christ has done. This new creation life, united with Christ, means we're no longer slaves to sin. We can offer ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness and serve in the new way of the Spirit. We can pray in the Spirit and cry out, Abba, Father. We're co-heirs with Christ and we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. Now all those things are from subsequent passages in Romans. Paul develops how our position as a new creation affects our life, affects who we are. And when we come back to Romans later in the year, we'll be exploring some more of those. All of us who are part of this new creation in Christ, without distinction, belong together in this new humanity. Paul has already warned against division and boasting. And so the reality of what Christ has done to us should make us regard our brothers and sisters, all of them, in a particularly special way. That should be the mark of God's church. And the grace that has overflowed to us should also recommit each of us to the task of sharing this overflowing grace with others. We don't need to be, and we should not be, we cannot stay as an introspective, cosy Christian club or introspective huddle. Where sin increased... Grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise be to him. Amen.